are done with stanzas one through six now, and it's on to stanza seven. So in stanza six, we we read that we have this intuition in ourselves that that must come from somewhere in Tolkien's perspective. We have this transcendent intuition that he words as whence came the wish and whence the power to dream or some things fair and others ugly deem. So we have these, in, these intuitions that pull us toward a transcendent mindset might be a word for it. And we tend to build these conceptual these conceptual systems around that intuition. And here Tolkien calls it wish fulfillment dreams that we spin to cheat our timid hearts and ugly fact defeat. So we so we create these exaggerations that are based off of our intuitions. And those aren't in and of themselves the capital T truth, the transcendent truth, the ideal truth, the form truth in the platonic sense. But they're based on this intuition, this transcendence, this uh, soul calling from the transcendent to the corporeal, to the material, to the everyday perceptual. And we established that whatever we take as true, if we decide to kind of shake off dogma, superstition, and interpretations of the divine that we might see as exaggerated or a graven image even, we're still left with this suffering of existence, this basic and necessary striving, or in Tolkien's words, and of evil this alone is dreadly certain, evil is. And it would be hard to find any serious thinkers who don't take that as some type of truth that we are not comfortable in this present existence all right enough setup let's get into stanza seven blessed are the timid hearts that evil hate that quail in its shadow and yet shut the gate the first thing that comes to my mind when we see timid hearts here is in the New Testament. I'm not sure exactly where, but it says the meek shall, Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. And the best interpretation of this, of this verse that I've heard is by uh, Jordan Peterson. And he essentially says, if I remember him correctly, he says that if you imagine a Roman centurion, they have a sword, 
and to be a meek person that is capable of inheriting the earth you have to have the potentiality for shows of great for shows of great strength and power but keep your sword sheathed right so so i've also th thought about this idea that what is what is virtue is is it to be virtuous if you are not tempted by a thing in, a, in other words as an example would a person be said to hold the virtue of chastity if they have no sexual drive I think it would be a bit hard to see someone as chaste if they do not have a sexual drive if they are asexual essentially now where a virtue comes in like chastity is when you have this innate desire to fulfill that passion that passion of the flesh as the bible would say and and you fight against it and you triumph over that passion. If it is a misplaced passion, obviously in the Christian perspective, the passion of human sexuality is to be accomplished within marriage and some other criteria depending on um, what, what sect of Christianity, Christianity you, um, you adhere to. But a misplaced passion can be curbed by a virtue. So essentially, to get back to this Jordan Peterson thing, that type of virtue is what a meek person presents to the world. And if everyone else has swords, then obviously you go to the other quote of Jesus. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. So if everyone unsheaths their swords and starts fighting all around a meek person, logically that meek person will be the last one standing because they are willing to disengage from violence. And that's just not, that's not just physical violence in this meek concept here. This is the ability to restrain oneself. This is kind of extrapolating off of Jordan Peterson now, but it's the ability to restrain yourself. And I think if we go to the Lord of the Rings, who would be, in this, in this concept, who would be the person that most aligns with this idea of restraint? coupled with immense power it would be tempting to say Gandalf would be the ideal example of that he definitely has the most power that I can think of you think of someone like Sa like Sauron who does not curb his passions he is very powerful but he does not curb those passions and so they consume him 
But the person that comes to my mind most is Aragorn. Now he, it now this might get a little complicated because Aragorn, it's kind of tied up with this timidity as as well, this un this unsureness that he does not he's he, he's not quite sure if he's worthy to take up this role of king. But he knows he has to, obviously. But he still has great power. In, in, a, in, a, in an example, when they get to Minas Tirith and they free the city from the, from the besieging army of Mordor, Aragorn goes to the Palantir that Denethor has been using to kind of spy out Mordor and the workings of Sauron. And Aragorn wrestles with Sauron through the plant here. And it's said in the book that Sauron immediately knew that he was the king. He was the, the prophesied king and that it frightened him, which is, which was the point of Aragorn. He wanted to lure the armies and the forces out of Mordor so that Frodo and Sam had a clear shot to get to Mount Doom. But yeah, that, that's who comes to my mind. We're only one line in, so I should continue, though. Timid hearts that evil hate. Sorry about that. Message. Timid hearts that evil hate. So keep this in mind that evil hates these timid hearts that quail in its shadow and yet shut the gate. So these timid hearts, they are very frightened by this evil. There's no pretense of in invincibility. It's very frightening. And yet they shut the gate. So these timid hearts also remind me of the hobbits in, in a way. Shut the gate reminds me of how how the Shire kind of orients themselves towards the rest of Middle Earth is they insulate themselves. And there's a lot of pros and cons to that, obviously. They 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 are not exposed to the immense cultural, artistic, and spiritual expressions of the elves or the men or the dwarves but they also maintain a childlike virtue that comes from insulating themselves from it and obviously they would not be able to do that if it weren't for these rangers like strider aka aragorn that kind of ring the shire and protect them there's a line when they're in the Council of Elrond, when they get to Rivendell and they're having this Council of Elrond to decide who's going to take the ring. Boromir asks of Aragorn, he, he essentially says, who is this tramp? Who's this, who's this presumptuous, puffed up 
vagabond that he thinks Aragorn is. And obviously Aragorn says, I'm the king of, I'm the prophesied king and all this, but he also says, Boromir says to Aragorn, where have you guys been, essentially, while we've been on the borders of Gondor, keeping all these Mordor forces from invading all of these lands behind us? And he's resentful of this position that him and his people have been put in as the protectors of everyone behind them. And he doesn't feel like these other people know about or care about the suffering and sacrifice that the Gondorians have been through. And Aragorn kind of responds by saying, us rangers, us Numenorians, have been in the north protecting the small folk for those things that get through the cracks. He says something like, the hobbits would not be able to live in such a way even if they knew that these evils were out there. Let, let, let alone if these evil forces were allowed to get into the Shire. There's a certain virtue that comes from just plain ignorance of it. And in, in a way, that's what kind of allows men to be corrupted. We, we look at Denethor when he gazes into the plant here. And far from being strengthened by that knowledge, he's corrupted. The same with Saruman. He has a plant here. And it allows him to look into evil. <laughs> Just so many connections here, but it also goes to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the creation story, right? When we look at so what 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 would it mean to eat of the eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Satan says to Satan says to Eve, you will be as gods knowing good from evil and I think I remember God saying that same thing and so being exposed to these being, being exposed to even the knowledge of good and evil it comes with dangers okay blessed are the timid hearts that evil hate that quail in its shadow and yet shut the gate. Next line. That seek no parley, and in guarded room, though small and bait, upon a clumsy loom. That seek no parley. Yeah. So these timid hearts, they're not willing to compromise on certain things. They're not willing to take a little bit of evil while giving a little virtue. And in Guarded Room, I think this goes back to those Numenorians, those, those rangers of the north that, per, that protect these timid hearts. In a certain way, they, 
they take on the weight of evil in order to allow certain people to live in not naive virtue, but this innocent virtue. And I think that those are two two very separate concepts, innocent versus naive. To be naive might be to disregard the dangers of these things, whereas innocent, it doesn't necessarily have to be naive. Though small and bait upon a clumsy loom, so small and bait, so we're, these timid hearts, they're small compared to the immensity of truth and the immensity of God and the immensity of this spiritual warfare that goes on around them. But they're still playing a part. And now we we have this loom. And in an earlier stanza, we, we saw that the elves weave light and dark into their creations. And now we're weaving something on on our own loom if we're presumptuous enough to call ourselves these timid these timid hearts that is next line weave tissues gilded by the far-off day hoped and believed in under shadows sway so weave tissues gilded by the far-off day the far-off day I think we can assume that that is this promised, this promised salvation, second coming kind of stuff. This eventual salvation and uh, theosis is another word for it. We're going to come into fulfillment and mutual understanding with God to see and be seen, right? And weave tissues. So right now, see, tissues is a weird word here, but I think it might make sense if we say, we live in a time where our sufferings and evil and all these things within us are not going to be satisfied. They're not going to be Evil will not be er eradicated, so we're going to have a constant tear rolling down our face. And so we weave tissues, <laughs> these palliative, kind of thin band-aids to put over that, dab our eye a little bit, until that far-off day. And these tissues, these palliatives that we have right now that don't fix it entirely, but they help. Things like prayer, things like mutual affection between a community, within a community of believers, the Bible. These help uh, as a prerequisite. I shouldn't say prerequisite. It's not required before that, but... They help as a as in a pre-echo of that eventual salvation. 
hoped and believed in under shadow's sway. So hoped and believed in. I actually really like the fact that he doesn't say something like known under shadow sway. Instead he says hoped and believed in. So I I like to think that he he doesn't think that we know that this shadow is going to pass away, but we hope and we believe that it will. Augustine, I think, in the city of God, perhaps, he has this idea of happy and hope because he was asked by a lot of people, how do we know, how do we know as a truth statement that Jesus will come back, that God is true, that God is love? And Augustine essentially responds by saying, we don't know. We, we're not sure of it, but we are happy in hope. Because what he had been hearing is that how, how can we maintain happiness on earth if we, if we know that it's corrupted and there's so much evil in the world? And Augustine says, yeah, you, you can't be happy in that ultimate sense but you can gain a type of happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction, cessation of pain in hope of that eventual reconciliation. So I like that. And then in under shadows sway, shadow is capitalized here again. So we have this, this cumulative, cumulative evil just this vague overarching shadow and we're under that but we're happy in hope through belief not through knowledge of that eventual salvation and reconciliation okay and that is stanza seven and the next one's pretty short so shouldn't have any trouble getting that done rather quickly i will see you guys later